Let somebody hit that back door for me back there if they would. Thank you. I, hey, Scott, can you turn me down some? I feel like I'm uh, booming just a little bit. <clears throat> Let's start with prayer, and then we'll climb in. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 9 tonight, and I think we'll be able to make it all the way through the whole chapter. It'll be a good, good study. Next week, I'm going to have um, kind of a so what night for the flood. There are four or five really important implications of the flood that uh, are really not, um, you know, I've kind of hinted at them, tipped at them, and connected to them a little bit over these last few weeks, but there are four or five really tremendous things that we're just going to spend a single Wednesday night and just hit, since we've kind of low-crawled through the flood account, we'll spend next Wednesday night and kind of have a so what night. How does it invade Thursday? You know, how does it invade breakfast? You know, that, that sort of thing. Why does the flood have an impact on what we're even doing right here? So that'll be next Wednesday night after we finish up chapter 9 tonight. So let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, what an awesome, awesome uh, time we've got in store tonight. What an awesome privilege to gather and to worship and to wonder and to, to be teachable and to lay our lives and our minds open and bare. Lord, we are together tonight, I can express, I know on behalf of this people that we are grateful for the riches that you just um, uh, provide so readily and so consistently from just a patient journey through your word. And um, we pray for that tonight. I pray for clarity of speech and uh, thought. And just pray for uh, um, just a sweet time together. And uh, we turn this time over to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 9. What I'd like to do is, for the sake of integrity, read it through together in one chunk. And then we're going to come back and kind of pick up smaller chunks. <clears throat> and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground. And all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your life blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply team on the earth, and multiply. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that's with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall I all flesh be cut off from, by the waters of the flood, and never again shall, shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. I think I'm going to stop right there and we're going to climb through that and then we'll see where we are for the rest of it. I think we'll be able to get to the rest of it. Let's start with the first uh, kind of seven verses. As I read these passages again, what I want you to do is just really try and capture some of the themes that you're seeing. There's three really important themes that are redundant in there. You might remember, if y'all were here a few weeks ago before the holidays, I introduced you to, it may have been the first time you've ever seen this, something called a chiasm, where it's, it's kind of like a pyramid. It's like a, a literary term that if you were to kind of chart it out, it would look like a pyramid, where these, these facts presented that it are accentuating what's at the top of the pyramid, and then those, the things that are presented on this side are presented in kind of a redundant way on this side. And there's a, 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 a chiasm here in the first seven verses. So just kind of be attentive to that. We're going to draw that out because that chiasm sets off something important at the top of the pyramid. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and on all the fish of the sea. And to your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That's kind of a little poem, actually. It's a little song. Kind of a weird song, but that's what it is. Whoever sh- We could just sing it. Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed. God often had little lessons taught with songs, little poems to help people remember it. It's a good thing to remember. For God made man in his own image, and you be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply it. Okay. What themes do y'all see? There's three really important ones. You don't have to have use big words or anything. If you see something that's just kind of sticking out to you, just share it. Multiply? Okay. I'm going to bring that out and, and give that kind of a, a, a bigger word that kind of points to what's taking place there. Propagation. Okay? That's good. That's one of the three themes. Propagation. And it's the cultural mandate that you're seeing right there in the very beginning in verse 1. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We've seen that before. Where? In early Genesis with Adam. Right? And it's also in verse 7. Be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply it. You remember I'm talking about the chiasm? Those are the two bottom pieces. Okay? Whenever you see something repeated, just start looking for things like that. And there's all kind of literary tools that the Lord's used in the inspired word to, to make things stand out. So those are the two bottom chunks on the pyramid. So it's about to build up into the second and the third um, emphasis. Okay, what other thing do you see brought out? Accounting? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to actually... Um, let's, let's see what else is brought out. Because there is, you know, a, a responsibility and accountability, I think is a good word. Fear, blood, okay? Dominion? What is it? Provision? Who said provision? 
Okay? Provision slash sustenance. Has anybody ever heard that word before? Sustenance? First time I ever used that word in a Bible study, people thought I was making it up. I was teaching a singles class in Fort Worth. And they're like, you make words up all the time. No, that's a real word. It is. It has to do with like nourishment, man. I got some sustenance tonight. Christy bless some good soup we had. That was sustenance. That's what that means. And that's what this is about. All right, that's kind of the top of the pyramid is sustenance. We hadn't really gotten at what's in the middle of the pyramid. We got the bottom pieces, and that is propagation or the cultural mandate. We've got at the very top sustenance. We're going to look at specifically what those are. But there, there's something in the middle that's really important. And we hadn't really hit on it yet. I think Ken has kind of touched it a little bit with with accountability. That's kind of fitting with sustenance. It's it's protection. It's protection on this side of the pyramid. Now I'm just interpose a period. I'm starting with the left side. It's your right. But we got, basically, you've got the cultural mandate. Be fruitful, multiply. And then right up here above that, you've got protection. You're going to be protected from the critters. And then up top, you've got, you can eat the critters, but just don't eat their blood. And then starting back down the other side of the pyramid, you've got protection from humans. Where with the the threat that if you kill somebody, what's going to happen to you? Your blood's going to be shed. And then back on the other side of the pyramid, down at the very bottom, you've got the culture mandate restated. So it's cool. It's setting something off. Now, we're, we're going we're to hit on those um, a, little, a little more detail here in a minute. But let me talk about propagation, first of all. This, you know, the, the term, don't, don't be afraid of that term. It's just called the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Keep your finger in Genesis 10 and turn over to Psalm 127. This ought to be the theme of Crosspoint Fellowship, this passage I'm about to read right now. It ought to be on like a business card or something. This is what we're about. But it's not what we're about. It just seems to be kind of a byproduct of what's going on right now in this church. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. We've got a full quiver at this church because our nurseries are full and our pews are full of even more kids on the way, even on the way. So, And that's even aside from the kids that are sitting in the pews. But kind of the point of this, this psalm or something that's emphasized in this psalm is, is tying back to the cultural mandate is the people of God, when we are most in fellowship with Him, we're having babies. And we're adopting babies, and we're bringing up a little people of God underneath us. I mean, that's tomorrow's church, and it's evangelism at its best. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me a great question in response to Sunday's message about the family, kind of trying to sort through how does, how does that picture of God interacting with families work with God's work in election that it's not a given that every member of a family is going to be saved. But I'm going to tell you what, the conditions are perfect. The conditions are just right in, in, in the right home. In the, in the home where Christ is adored, 
where the soil is cultivated with the gospel and conversation and kids are growing up seeing parents enjoying Christ, man, things are just right. So it's not a given, but man, it is a sweet setting. So the cultural mandate is something that the people of God should really embrace and enjoy. I think that that means that um, the Thormans may be the most godly among us. And the Duggars may be, may be pretty godly too. I don't know what their story is, but I know they've had about 100 kids. That's not somebody in this church, by the way. That's somebody on TV. I heard about it. I haven't even seen them. Okay, the second thing, protection. There's two pictures of protection here. There's protection from the animals and there's protection from man. Okay, first of all, let's start with the animals. In verse 2, it says, The fear of you, Noah, and your sons and your family, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and on all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they're delivered. There's this expression there that these guys are going to fear you. Animal kind, the, the, the animal kingdom is going to be afraid of you. And if you really think about it, our relationship with animals really isn't that great. That's why a, a, a relationship with a dog or a cat is especially sweet. And that's why people can get so connected to them and enjoy them so much is because the rest of the animal, animal kingdom is just going poof. You step out into the wild and you see a deer or a wild pig, and what do they do? Poof. They're gone. Man, the deer throw their tail up, and the pigs just somehow... Scoot out of there fast. I don't know how they run fast. They just do. But they're gone. A bird sitting at a, at a, a bird bath. They're startled when they see you and they fly off. And that's all part of this provision. It seems in some way that animals had crossed the line. Whenever mankind really became sinful and wicked before the flood, in some way all flesh was sinful. It even says it back in Genesis chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, just a page over. Verse 12, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. That includes critters. Somehow they must have crossed some sort of line where they were doing things they shouldn't have done. And this is a, a ministry of grace for God to put a fear in them of us. And it's, it's just another picture of His protection of us. Things must have been different from before the flood when all flesh was corrupted. And God gives the animals a new fear or a, maybe a previous fear. It would probably be a brand new fear of mankind because if you think about it, Adam in the garden would have had a sweet relationship with the critters. He named them. And then after the fall, there's really no picture of animals just going poof. And this is the first time where it's necessary where God says, animals will be afraid of you. I think there's something that's really neat about this picture too. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 65. I like the thought of coming full circle and thinking how this whole thing is going to come around. Isaiah 65, on page 624 of your pew Bible or your ESV, is a passage about the new heavens and the new earth. <clears throat> I was a year into seminary, 30, uh, I don't know, 34, 35 years old, before I ever really read anything about a new heavens and new earth. For me, it's just heaven. You die. If you believe in Christ, you don't go to hell, so you go to heaven. I really had a malnourished picture of heaven, too. It was just kind of a pillowy, 
white, soft, cloudy place that I didn't really understand. This is a story about where we're going to spend eternity. Or this is a passage about that. New heavens and a new earth. Earth as we know it is going to be consumed by fire. And we're going to be caught up in the air. And we're actually going to end up eventually on a whole new earth. How many of you, that's the first you've ever heard that in your life? Don't be afraid of that. Don't be bashful. Just show your hands. Just one of you, I don't believe that. But maybe so. That's okay. Listen, I was a year into seminary before I ever heard it. And I began the journey of faith at the age of six. So if, if, if some of y'all others just weren't willing to put your hand up, don't feel funny about that. But here's the cool thing is that we're going to inhabit a whole new heavens and a whole new earth. And listen to this passage in, in uh, chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. There's passages in the New Testament, First, uh, Second Peter, that talk about that event where the, the old earth is going to be consumed by fire. But to listen to this passage in verse 25. In this setting, on this new heavens and this new earth, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Now this, realize that this is poetic. This is poetic writing. You want to be careful about taking factual information from poetry. But you can get the gist of poetry. That's the purpose of poetry is to enjoy the tone of it and the gist of it. And the tone of this is that restoration is going to be like Eden and better. So people ask, you know, you think there are going to be animals in heaven and critters? And I don't know if our favorite puppy is going to be there that died as a seven-week-old. But I think there... I get the sense if it's good enough for the first creation, it'll be good enough for the second. I'm not going to die on that hill. Hey, he said there's going to be animals in heaven on the new heavens and new earth. But it does seem to be a picture of restoration. And in this picture that we're given, there's a picture of communion. Animals with each other, wolf and lamb hanging out together, grazing, and lion eating straw like an ox, I just have the, the picture there that we'll be able to, as a result of work of Christ, when, the, when His people are gathered from the four winds and when we inhabit the new, new heavens and the new earth, that there will be this sweet symbiotic, that's probably not even a good word for this because that's kind of dependent, there will be this sweet harmony between animals and mankind, between all creation. But this right here is a picture of grace that we are actually separated from them. As for now, when you see deer run, whenever you're driving down a road and you see a deer go poof. Now, thankfully, it's for his own protection he's doing that too because you're in a car. But it may be for your protection too. You get one through the windshield. But think of that image though. When a deer runs or when a bird flies away, be thankful for God's protection. It's just another picture of God's grace. Now, the other picture of protection is from man. Look at verse 4. You shall not eat flesh with its life, that, it, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And here's our song. We could get Scott to put it to music. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply a team on the earth and multiply in it. There's a picture of protection from man. The consequences of taking the life of man is death. Okay? And specifically, it's death at the hand of man. 
This is a biblical argument for capital punishment. You know, people say, well, why, why do you believe in capital punishment? Well, God designed it. I didn't design it. The state of Texas didn't design it. God designed it. And this even is so important that it applies to animals. The lifeblood of mankind is so important that even if an animal takes the life of a man, that animal is to be put down. How many times have you heard about that? A bear that's taking the life of someone, they put that bear down. They find it and they kill it. They don't put it in a zoo. He doesn't deserve to live. I mean, there's an aggression toward an animal that takes the life of a human. And that, that goes back to this. This consequence serves as a deterrent and ultimately as a protection. Okay, we're going to spend some more time on the So What Wednesday next Wednesday talking, dealing with capital punishment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there today, but this is, this is a foundational argument for it. Look at verse 6, though. I want you to pay attention. I want to show you something. Here's our song. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. I'm learning now to look for Christ in the Old Testament. And I'm learning now to look for early pictures of the, of the gospel. And I think this is one of those early pictures right here. Or just pay attention that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. I think this is vehicle for the gospel, where this is vehicle, and then the tenor is the gospel itself. Those may be new terms for you. I'll use them over and over again. Vehicle and tenor. Vehicle is a type of the real, and the real is the tenor. And I think this is a picture of a vehicle and a type. For sinful man to reconcile with a holy God, listen to this, something has got to die. Now that's talking in a vertical direction. In a horizontal direction, horizontal justice for, for mankind means in like kind. You take somebody's life, what happens? You die. If it's in, not accidental, in, in like kind. You steal something, then years are stolen from you as you go to prison. Poetic justice in a horizontal fashion involves this mankind sort of life-for-life life sort of picture. But here's where things, I think, move kind of in the direction of the gospel. There is a hint here that this isn't just about life-for-life, life, but it's also about life-for-sin. Does anybody know Romans, Romans 6.23 off the top of your head? That's right. The wages of sin is death. So it's not just the wages of killing somebody is death, but the wages of any sin is death. Why is that? Well, let me ask this question first. Would it be right if somebody stole money out of your purse for them to be killed? That's a little bit excessive, isn't it? Why is that? Because we're talking about horizontal justice. We're talking about justice man to man. So doesn't it seem a little bit extreme that stealing money out of a purse is sin, which the wages of which is what? Death. That's exactly right. That's why. We're not talking about a horizontal justice here. We're talking about a vertical issue between sinful man and a holy God. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a couple pictures in Hebrews I want to show you real briefly. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Right. 
The problem that people have is whenever you view God horizontally, like, hey, man, I'm a pretty good guy. <laughs> I hadn't killed anybody, so I don't deserve death. We're viewing a horizontal justice here, and we're not understanding what vertical justice means. Vertical justice is between us and a holy God, and the whole book of Leviticus is about what has to happen. What has to happen for, for sinful man to commune in fellowship with a holy God? I said it over and over again during that series. What has to happen? Something has got to die. That's right. And here's the passage. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, page 1006. It says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And that we're talking about vertical justice, vertical reckoning right there. For sinful man to fellowship with the Holy God, something has got to die. So I think this early picture here where it's life for life, blood for blood, has a horizontal teaching in it for sure, but it's got a hint of the vertical teaching too, that life is that valuable. And really, it's kind of the foretaste of things to come, that God is that holy. Name the sin. The, the reckoning for a sinful man to fellowship with the Holy God is death and blood. And I think in some way this is an early picture of that. I'll be really honest with you. I hadn't sorted it out per perfectly. It's not tidy. I just know it's the gospel. It's an early picture of the gospel. It's Christ in the OT. And that's why we can all sit and chew on it and gnaw on it and enjoy it and realize that God's had his hand in it from the very beginning. He's talking about spiritual and physical in, in Romans. Yeah, he's talking about spiritual and physical. Because it may not happen right now, but it's, it's imminent. I mean, it's a done deal. In Hebrews chapter 9? Genesis chapter 9. Let me, let me see if I understand your question. All right. I think, I think you could certainly appreciate that there's some spiritual death in there because it's sin. I mean, that's kind of pushing something into it. But, yeah, I think there's certainly some spiritual issues there too. Let's talk about sustenance at the top of the pyramid. Verse 2 and 3. He says, The fear of you and the dread of you, we've already read that, upon everything that creeps on the ground, all the fish of the sea, they're all going to be scared of you. But here's, here's the point of sustenance. Into your hand they're delivered. And it goes on into verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. There's this provision, you can eat whatever you want, but you eat it within boundary. The animals are given to the human diet, but, and before now, I guess they were vegetarians. You know, it's weird, I, I guess they were. But right now, they're clearly, man, chow down, eat all you want, but just make sure that the blood is removed from the animal. Why is that? Say that? Yes, exactly right. Because the blood is the picture of the life of the animal. So what are they instilling? What is God instilling in mankind when he says, you can't eat a, a cow with its blood still in it? What's a, if, if the blood represents the life, what is he instilling in mankind? Respect for life. Exactly. An appreciation for the sanctity 
of life and the sacredness of knife. Yeah. He didn't allow anybody to kill Cain. Yeah. Yeah. I can't explain the difference in that, but. You know, he gives them all the, all the things to eat here, but then in the nation of Israel, he definitely defines what's clean and what's unclean. Right. It's a developing revelation. Yeah. And later on, you know, now he says, eat what you want. Later on, he says, these are clean, these are unclean. Eat these, don't eat these. And then it's almost like a picture of a chiasm, because then there's the dream later where the sheet comes down. He says, Eat up. And then, of course, in the new heavens and the new earth, it'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb sort of environment. Man, we will feast. So that's interesting, interesting development. Now, at the top of this pyramid, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have it sorted out. I know at the top of this pyramid, though, at the top of this chiasm, there's the food and the animals as provision, and there's don't drink the blood, but there's something in there with the Lord's Supper. It's, it's an early picture of the Lord's Supper because there's nourishment and there's blood, and that's what takes place in the Lord's Supper. The only thing that I can think right now, and, you know, I'm kind of new to looking for Christ in the old OT. It's kind of new to me. It's only been happening in the last couple of years. But the thing that I'm thinking right here is that God has built into mankind that over these ages that you don't drink the blood, you don't drink the blood, you eat the flesh, you don't drink the blood, but in Christ it's going to be different. You drink his blood. Because that's what he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that we enter into fellowship with him through that. Something there. That thing's set off as a chiasm, and it's very clear that it's treated special. So it's kind of an early picture of the Lord's Supper. Okay, let's look at verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast on the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant. Man, I'm excited about covenant. We're going to talk about covenant some of these next few weeks. I'm going to share a little bit tonight. I establish my covenant with you that never again, now he, he establishes, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. He said the same thing about ten different ways in there, didn't he? It's just over and over again. Thank you, Lord, for being redundant. Thank you, Lord, for being persistent because we are so hard-headed. But here's some things I want to tease out. God initiates and establishes a covenant with mankind. It's important to recognize that we don't make deals with God. He establishes covenants. I mean, how many times do you say, Lord, you get me out of this? I'll tell you what, we're going to, man, I'm going to be on your team from here on. You don't initiate a deal with God. God establishes covenants. He, he initiates them and he establishes them. And something I want you to appreciate here, this is what I'm kind of studying in regards to covenant. The whole picture of covenant is so underdeveloped in my background. And I, I think that 
maybe Southern Baptists, I can't say as a whole, but Southern Baptists in large part haven't really dealt much with covenant. And I don't know if that's true of every church, but I know that of the churches that I've been, I've never really even heard much about it. But I want you to appreciate something. How many of you have seen a totem pole? Seen a totem pole? Okay, most of us. Everybody raise our hand this time. Lauren, you're not odd person out, everybody. Okay. I just wanted to have everybody raise their hands once. Um, everybody seen a totem pole. The picture of a totem pole has the God at the top. It has man halfway down. It has critters at the bottom. Okay, and in a totem pole, their God in this pagan, you know, environment is part of kind of a continuum. In some ways, it's almost like Mormonism. If you know much about Mormonism, you know, you're talking about some nice people, <laughs> but they're a cult. I mean, it's a cult because basically they place God at the top of a totem pole. God is just going out on a continuum, and they're somewhere in the middle, and someday they're going to move their way up to the top of the totem pole, and they're going to have their own little earth. But that, that's, that's characteristic of pagan sort of environments and where a totem pole would be sticking up in the middle of the camp. But I want you to appreciate how our gospel is different from that. What's true of this, this totem pole, is that God is part of a continuum where man is kind of an emanation from the being of the God because he's still part of that same stick. What's different about our gospel is that our God, when he created, he created from nothing. He's not connected to our, our totem pole. He's, he's totally separate. That's what the word transcendent means. You may have heard that word before, and, you, and, and it, it often kind of paints the picture of God being far away, that he's transcendent. But it doesn't mean far away. It means distinct. It doesn't mean distant. It means distinct. God is distinct from mankind. He's not on our totem pole. There is no totem pole. All right? And he's not on it. But the way a, a distinct being interacts with his creation is through a vehicle and our vehicle is covenant <laughs> this thing that i know nothing about literally you know essentially that is just like this new thing for me is the thing to where a transcendent god is imminent and personal it's through the covenant this thing that we're so ignorant about so here when this is not the first covenant the first covenant was with adam this is the second covenant that we see in the Bible where God is interacting with mankind. This distinct, transcendent being is interacting with his creation. And this, this is the first picture of that. I'll give you some examples of how covenant works. What are some covenants that we're likely all part of? Marriage, okay, that's good. And in marriage, I want you to appreciate, you're talking about two distinct people, Right? Hopefully not sisters. That's why it's wrong to marry our sister and brother because that's kind of on the same totem pole, <laughs> right? <laughs> same family. <laughs> you're kind of an emanation of each other, you know? You're connected to each other. But you're talking about two different families that are distinct that through covenant are going to whoosh and becoming a union. And just to show you, I'll give you a little taste of something that's going to come up here in these next few weeks during this uh, series, the Dib series, is... Um, that covenant is thicker than blood. And I'll give you an example why covenant is thicker than blood. Because what happens to husband and wife? They're not blood, but through that covenant that they're making with each other and with God, they are becoming one. And that's a picture. That's how important covenant is. This thing that is so underdeveloped for us in the Christian faith. 
at least in, in my little piece of history, is it is how a distinct God interacts with mankind. What, what are some other covenants that are that we might be part of? There's one I'm thinking of at least that many of you are part of. Exactly, church membership covenant. I, I, I think it's I alluded to this on Sunday. Membership is important not because you're counting heads. I don't know how many members we've got. I know how many families we have. It's not about counting heads. It's not about putting notches in your gun or counting your army. Membership is about quality commitments of accountability. It's accountable fellowship. This says, I stand with you. And that membership covenant is I'm in fellowship with you officially. I'm in covenant with you. That's why that thing matters. It's not about counting heads. But what it does is it makes a bunch of distinct families go whoosh. It makes a bunch of distinct families thicker than blood. I had a conversation with a friend today, and um, he asked me if, uh, if I was crossways with him for some reason. And it occurred to me while I was talking to him. I said, no, I'm not. But it occurred to me while I was talking to him that my relationship, i got to hope and pray my brothers don't listen to this. They wouldn't anyway, but... This guy I'm talking to, I'm closer to. I'm more, he's more my brother than my blood brother because we're in covenant with each other because covenant's thicker than blood. That's how important covenant is. And, man, what a blessing that we're part of a covenant between God and his, and his creation. But this is a picture of covenant right here. The fellowship, listen, fellowship between two distinct Parties, and in our case, a distinct and transcendent God and His creation. Fellowship comes from the establishment and the fulfillment of the covenant on God's part. He's reaching down to mankind. He's becoming personal through this covenant. And the fellowship comes about when He reaches down, and it comes about through our enjoyment of the covenant on man's part. I'm going to read that again because it's so important. Fellowship comes from the establishment and fulfillment of the covenant on God's part and the enjoyment of the covenant on man's part. Really what you're talking about is worship. When it's vertical, that latter part, that's called worship. It's not a song. It's the enjoyment of God's reaching toward us and God's connection, our intentional connection with us. God certifies his covenants with signs. We're going to talk about the bow in a minute. But what are some other covenants you can think of that God has made with man? Abrahamic? Okay, that's an obvious one. Very good. What else? Okay, the flood is one we're going to talk about here in a minute. With the bow? Yes. What else? There's two others that I'm thinking of. They're a little bit more discreet than the Abrahamic covenant. Really, one of them is not discreet at all. We should all just shout about it and dance all around about it. The new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. And there's one in the middle. Yes, on Sinai, and the, the giving of the law at Sinai. Okay, let me show you that God is about giving signs in covenant. Look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 11. God is such a great teacher. He is the alpha teacher, and he's got visual aids that go with everything he's showing us. And here's a visual aid. It's also, it's more than a visual aid. Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty invasive. Chapter 17, verse 11, page 12 of your Bible. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. He's talking to Abraham. 
in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It's a pretty serious sign. Uh, paying attention, right? I mean, and that's, that's a sign as a picture of that covenant. Now, let me show you a sign of the Israel covenant. Turn to Exodus chapter 33, or the, um, the um, Mosaic covenant. Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. No, excuse me, 31, verse 13. I'm going to start in, yeah, verse 12, might as well. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. In verse 17, it is a sign. That's talking about Sabbath. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So there's a sign that goes along with that covenant. Now let's look at the Luke chapter 22, all the way over to the new covenant that we all dance about. The new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. You may have heard that terminology before, and you've heard it in this setting, in the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 22, verse 20, page 882 of your pew Bible. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's a sign of the new covenant. Thankfully, he teaches with these visual aids that we can just enjoy that we can see, that we can touch and feel. So when we take of the blood or take of the cup in the Lord's Supper, and we are participating in the new covenant, and we are fellowshipping with a distinct God through that experience and through that connection. Now, let's talk about the bow. This is the covenant where he certified that he would not send a worldwide flood again. Now, what is a bow? Anybody know? What's a bow? Huh? No, not take rain out of it. What's a, what's a bow? Hunting, hunting exactly. How many of y'all hunt with bow and arrow? That's what that is. It's a bow. And actually, in ancient civilizations, what they viewed of the the bow was a picture of hostility of the of the gods' hostility toward mankind. And notice which way that bow is oriented. That bow is oriented away from all creation, and it's relaxed. It's not taut. It's got a sweet curve to it that rises and goes all the way from, from horizon to horizon all the way up to the heavens. And it's relaxed and it's pointing away from the earth and saying, God is different. I'm showing grace to you right now. This thing that for many is the picture of hostility of the gods is going to be a picture of grace from Yahweh God. It's not just a colorful thing in the sky. It's a picture of God's grace. I, I got really excited about that. I don't know why, but... Chapter 8 of um, Genesis, verse 21, I'd like for us to memorize as a Wednesday night crew and be prepared to share it together next Wednesday night because I want us to be prepared the next time we see a cloudy sky, rain clouds, to where when we're riding along with our kids or we're riding along with our spouse or we're riding along by ourselves, where we can say these words outside, out loud when we see this in the sky. Chapter, what did I say, 8, verse 21? I meant 9, 21. No, that's not what I meant either. 12. 9, 12, man, I'm all over the place. 
<laughs> we don't want to say 921. He drank of the wine and became drunk. <laughs> Golly, that's funny. Whew. How about that? Just, I want us to be equipped. See, I've just lost it, man. I just, let's see if I can bring everybody back. And God said, just imagine driving down the road with your kids in a car, and they see a rainbow out the window. And you as a family share this passage together. This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I'd like for us to memorize that for next week and um, make an effort to share that together um, as, as an expression of worship. Uh, this, this picture of the bow confirms Psalm 19. Psalm 19, some of you may have looked at. I shared about it a few weeks ago where my family was learning Psalm 19. At the, how's it go, Christy? I'm trying to memorize Romans. You've got to give me a break. The, can you share it? Yeah. Just, just the first couple of verses. Just the first couple of verses. You're on the spot. I put you on the spot. Handiwork? Yeah. Day-to-day pours forth speech. That's a picture of the bow. Man, you look at the bow and you go to school, glory school, where you see God's grace. Okay? Look at verse 14 and 15 of that passage. Back in uh, Genesis chapter 9. It says, When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The thing I want to point out there is that when he sees the bow, he says that all creation will see it. A couple of verses earlier, he talks about all of us seeing it. But he says when he sees the bow, what happens? He what? Remembers. Is that a recollection? It's more than, rec- oh, yeah, <laughs> I made that promise a long time ago. It's not a recollection. Remember, it's when God remembers something, it's an active verb. It's not a, just kind of a sit and still kind of verb. What's an example of that that you can think of? And uh, Yeah, exactly. Good. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Good. Okay. I'm talking about another example of remembering. Think outside the OT paradigm and move on into the New Testament. Lord's Supper. Yeah, that's a picture of remembrance. Okay. On the cross is what I'm looking for. That thief on the cross turns to him and says, will you remember me? He wasn't just saying, will you recollect? I remember when I was on that cross that day, that thief, boy. He sure was bleeding. It's do something about it. It's remember and appreciate and respond. And that's what God does here. You need to see that when he sees that bow, every time he sees that bow, that it is an action sort of verb where he is actively withholding our due. Do you see that? (laughs) That's why we should memorize that verse. That's why our kids ought to know that verse. When we see that bow, we go, man... God is actively withholding and remembering His covenant with us. He's actively withholding our due. And the reason it's our due is because of chapter 8. No, chapter 7. No, it's chapter 9. No, it's chapter 8. 
Noah gets off the ark. He makes an offering. And God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from its youth. (laughs) It's no different now. He's just actively withholding our due. That's the difference now. All right. Now, there's no way that we can tackle the fall part five in the rest of this chapter. But I will read it and kind of give you an intro, and then we'll, we'll, we'll climb into it next week. Let's see. Yeah, I'll go ahead and read the whole thing. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Curse be Canaan. Who's Canaan? Youngest son was Ham, right? That's his son. This is going to come up in these next few weeks, too, in the Deb series. Who gets the curse? For Ham's sin, his boy does. And his offspring and his line do. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed is the Lord, the God of Shem. Shem is the father of the Israelites, ultimately. And who are the Japhethites the father of? Look around you. Yeah, that's our daddy. Okay? And I'll just give you a little taste of things to come. Listen to this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, which Japheth is the biggest part of the Christian faith right now, isn't it? The Gentiles. And let him dwell in the tents of Shem. <laughs> it gives me goosebumps when I think about that. We dwell, we dwell in the tents of the Israelites. Think about that. It's through that journey, through that time that the Lord has worked out the story in the old Israel that the new Israel abides. That's why that old, T is, that old Testament is so relevant. I hate the fact that we make New Testament Bibles and disseminate them. How dare us think that that's all you need? Man, we dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. That's just a little taste of things to come. Really, this is we're going to climb into that next week, the rest of this chapter. I will tell you that this is the fall, part five. I didn't find that in any notes. I've just seen, to date, so far in Genesis, there's, this will be the fifth fall. The first fall is where? Garden. The second fall is where? And fall's kind of redundant, because fall seems to imply like the first time, like we were in a good place and then whoosh, we fell it's just kind of maybe we're tumbling. Man, that's a better word. The fall was in Genesis chapter uh, 3 or 2. And then or the Genesis first three chapters really with the, sto- the story is all kind of unfolding there. And then the part 2 or the tumbling part is Cain. Part 3 is what? I'm quizzing y'all on our former Genesis studies. Part 3. Guy's a funny name. No. Tubal Cain. We did, re- yeah. 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 
And they built their city and all that. Yeah. Who, who am I thinking of specifically? He wrote a song and sang it to his woman about killing somebody. Lamech. What a rascal, man. He wrote a, wrote a song about, hey, man, I killed that guy. He sung it to his woman. It's crazy. And then the fourth part of the fall was mankind when the flood came. I mean, man was pretty, pretty wretched. And this is like the fifth. This is after the mankind mulligan, which is, uh, it's not God's. You know what a mulligan is? It's like a do-over. It's not God's do-over because God doesn't, mulligan implies a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. It was all part of his design. But it's kind of like our second chance. So I'm calling it Mankind Mulligan of the Flood. This is after that as part five in what unfolds here in the rest of this chapter. So if you want to prepare for next week, just kind of read ahead and study the rest of chapter nine. And we'll climb into that next week. And um, pay attention to who gets the curse. Um, Pay attention to what Ham does to kind of how things seem to be shaping up for Shem and Japheth. And uh, we'll kind of tease some of that out. And then next week we'll kind of start the, um, the so what Wednesday. You know, what, so what of the flood? You know, what, what, what implications does it have? Sometimes we don't take the time to really chew on what's the theological implications. And I know when I say theological, most of the time people think, oh, well, that's impractical and that's boring. And really... Practice, proper practice is born of right thinking. But you can be very sincere and very wrong and, and realize you, you can't hope to practice rightly and do rightly unless you know rightly. So when I say theological, I'm not going to use, it's not going to be any different from what we're doing tonight. I'm not going to pull out like big books and wear horn rim glasses next Wednesday night. It's not going to be any different. And realize that we're neck deep in that sort of stuff right now. But we're going to be very intentional next Wednesday about drawing out four or five really important, life-changing, Thursday-changing, breakfast-changing, conversation-in-the-car-changing sort of truths from the flood. I mean, I want you all to own the flood. Own that bad boy. Where you can talk with your kids, where when you hear them say, you say, hey, what would you all talk about in Bible study this morning? Oh, we talked about the flood. (gasps) Oh, that's so boring. You're like, what do you mean? Oh, I've heard it before. It's nothing new. I've already heard that story. You go, wait a second, Johnny. Let me tell you all about the flood. Let me teach you. This, y'all are being equipped for something right now. I hope y'all appreciate that. I hope you think there's other people in view of what you're receiving right now. Because if it's terminal and it's just for you, then somebody's missing out. I'm supposed to be equipping you for something. So... Be thinking about who's in view. Maybe somebody not here tonight, maybe just a friend or a family member or a new friend that you hadn't met yet. So let me close in prayer. Does anybody have any final thoughts before we close? Got some cool, cool Sundays coming up on this Dib series. There's some neat things that we're going to engage as a family and um, that are really going to involve all the family. And I'll tell you too, if you're single, I mean, it, it has everything to do with you, too, because you may have a family someday. Or it may have to do with some extended family. Or it may have to do with how we relate with God. Even if you're just completely single and you don't have any family. Whenever I shared on Sunday that we've got 73, now 74 families at Cross Point Fellowship, three or four of those families are one person, like Patrick Fields. Now, he's part of a family, but at least in part of this body, I'm, we're looking at him as a family unit.
So you may be one of those one-person families. Don't think these next few weeks aren't for you because they are. Okay? Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for this picture tonight. Uh, we thank you for complex chiasms and uh, mystery and um, things that we just can chew on and gnaw on and enjoy and wonder at. Uh, we thank you that um, there's a journey here that involves scraping and pursuing and um, poking and uh, work. And we thank you that in that work that we can just completely rest all the while on the finished cross, the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb. We can rest that someday we will know all things. And between now and then that the journey actually means that it's just fellowship and we're engaging you. Lord, I'm thankful that... Um, that Wednesday nights matter to folks, and um, I'm thankful that, that you just nourish and you feed and uh, you lead and you minister and you reveal through just a consistent, patient um, journey through the Word. I just pray that you'll find us faithful in doing that. We love you so much, Lord. Our Christ is so wonderful. His cross is so sufficient. His tomb is so empty, and uh, this journey is so amazing. We turn the rest of this week over to you for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Y'all have a great night.